0: Welcome to the Media Navigators podcast, brought to you by the World Media Group. My name is Belinda Barker, and I'm the Chief Executive. This is going to be a slightly different type of podcast from normal. So, The World Media Group exists to promote the values of journalism to the advertising and marketing industries. But in recent podcasts, we've really been focusing on talking to industry luminaries about kind of thought leadership practices within the industry. But today, we're really going to go back to our roots. We're going to be looking at the changing role of journalism. I'm really lucky today to be joined by one of the industry's great editors, Dan Stewart, who's the international editor for Time magazine. Good morning to you, Dan.
1: Hi, Belinda. That's very kind of you. (laughs) Are you well? I'm well, thank you, yes. Um,
0: And we're also going to be joined by um, Rebecca Vincent, who's Director of International Campaigns with Reporters Without Borders. Now, whilst the World Media Group focuses on commercially trying to support um, trusted journalism, uh, Reporters Without Borders has a much more um, hands-on approach, let's put it that way, in terms of lobbying governments but also supporting journalists out in the field. So I'm really delighted to be talking to Rebecca who will share more information about this. Good morning to you, Rebecca.
2: Good morning, Belinda. Thanks very much for having me.
0: Um, so we're talking about kind of the role of, of um press having changed significantly over the last few years. Um, There's been a lot of talk around fake news, um, and particularly um, through Trump. But to some extent, these criticisms have been around since the beginning of, um, since the very first newspaper was ever printed. And We, particularly in the UK, but in the West, now take journalism for granted. It's just here. um, And and we expect it to be free. But political restrictions have uh, changed that around around the world and actually, surprisingly, locally as well, which I think Rebecca's going to get more into that later on. But before we get into that, I really wanted to kind of um, start out quite conceptually um, and consider kind of what our world would be like today if we didn't have a trusted journalistic press. You know, uh, what would have happened in the US elections if they weren't called to account by um, titles like Time, New York Times, the, and the other members of the World Media Group, the pandemic. How, how would we have dealt with the pandemic if we were living off purely off social media? Um, so, I'd really like to put that to Dan initially. Um, you know, what what is your thoughts? Could you try and paint a picture for you for us? Sorry about how you think journalism adds and has changed the way we we see
1: things today? Well, uh, thanks, Melinda. I mean, to answer the question of what the world would look like without a free press, I think, sadly, there are spaces in the world where you can go to to get an idea of that. Um, I mean, you know, you look at, Saudi Arabia, for example, which is a completely closed information system, doesn't have an independent media. Um, anyone who dissents against the line of the government or the uh, uh, the royal family um, tends to end up in, in jail um, or lose their job. Um, China is another very obvious example. Um, I, I mean, for all that we have reporting on what is going on, In China, it's usually published by Western media, um, often with the help of Chinese journalists, I should say, um, or or by Chinese journalists. Um, But it's often by Western media that is investigating China. I think within China, if you don't speak English and you don't have access to the internet outside of the Great Chinese Firewall, the vast majority of Chinese people would probably have no idea of what was happening—the abuses that were happening in, in Xinjiang province, for example, where where Uyghur Muslims um, have been oppressed, um, or, or perhaps even in in, in Hong Kong, um, you know, where we've also seen oppression. So, so I think there are spaces around the world that that don't have a free press. Um, I think to your question of of the media's role in in keeping the the administration and the government in the UK to to account, um, I think it's it's been a really trying year um, for for journalists, especially with the restrictions that are on us in terms of freedom of movement and so on. Um, I, I think you know the fact that uh, that the, the the election was not stolen if you like i think it was helped by the media but also it was actually the institutions in the u.s that proved durable enough not to be stolen i think if you look at other countries around the world i mean myanmar is a great current example had their election two days after the u.s election um and the 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 military um officials there who were you know al- already held a large part of government Government decided that yes, that was a little bit too much democracy um, and and staged a successful coup um, uh, in a place where which where the, the freedom to report is is much, much more restricted than, than they have in the US.
0: Do you have um the rise in, in social media and, and the amount of people who are getting really warped? information bias, social media. Is that a growing concern for you?
1: It, it, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a huge concern. It's It's been a concern for years. I mean, uh, I think Time ran a cover in 2017 asking whether truth is dead. You know, we, we saw this over the course of the Trump administration, especially um, this sort of diffusion of information um, uh, and echo chambers that were reflecting their own realities, and it seemed to have broken off completely. Um, but again, this is a, a problem that we've been seeing around the world for, for, for a lot longer than that. Um, you know, in, in the Philippines, for example, where the role of Facebook in spreading, um, uh, in, in spreading fake news, um, and, and also in providing these spaces where people don't hear alternate voices, and that are able to be controlled, I suppose, by, by authoritarian governments. Um, it's incredibly hard to counter that. I mean, you know, something that we at Time pride ourselves on a little bit of, of, is of having trust. Um, but, you know, that trust only goes so far, you know, interrogating some of the, I suppose, crazier ideas out there, you know, this idea that, you know, Democrats are running a, a, a paedophile ring out of pizza restaurants, or that um, that Trump is a a chosen individual to, to combat satanic practices, <laughs> I think it's the QAnon um, theory. You know, countering those takes a, a sort of, I think it's a sort of generational task and not something that we can quickly do. It requires educating people um, on, on media literacy. And I don't know, Rebecca, if this is something that, that RSF has, has looked into, this idea about actually having people engage with journalism in a slightly different way or, or sort of relearning how to how how journalism works and understanding a little bit more about the importance of, of, of objective facts, if you like.
2: Yes, the proliferation of misinformation and disinformation uh, has brought with it new challenges to press freedom. But at the same time, I also don't think it's all negative because uh, the advent of social media has also uh, opened up new space for new types of journalism. So at Reporters Without Borders, we work not to only to defend professional journalists, but also citizen journalists around the world. And in some countries that are particularly close, citizen journalists are doing incredible work trying to get out the truth um, about even local issues like uh, corruption, for example, of local government. I'm thinking of some uh, courageous citizen journalists in places like Mexico. Um, And some of the spaces that you mentioned, Dan, which are indeed among the most closed spaces in the world, like China, citizen journalists have played an incredible role. And in fact, uh, as a result now, that creates another sort of challenge for press freedom, too, because um, China has... At least 117 journalists in jail currently, uh, and we're we're looking at a global situation. Usually, of nearly 400 journalists in jail around the world, so a huge percentage of that in China. Many of those are citizen journalists. So, so regimes are are cracking down too. And I think, um, in addition to just focusing on the you know the threats to information and making sure that we're uh, able to promote and defend quality, reliable. Uh, reporting, that we're also looking at, um, you know, the new types of journalists who are also being targeted as the result of uh, speaking out or using these platforms.
0: I thought that was an interesting point, Dan, you made about um, the education. Um, uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm thinking, uh, you know, in a personal viewpoint, having got two um, teenagers, um, you know, how they're educated to... To, to understand what, what, what is good, good journalism. You know, their go-to is obviously um, social media. Um, is there a role that that we should be playing in terms of, of, of educating this, this new generation coming up to understand uh, what it means?
1: Yeah, I think some governments, I'd need to do a little bit more research on this, having brought it up, but I think some governments in uh, in Scandinavia are beginning to look into government-funded media, liter- media literacy programs. I think that's probably more suitable for countries that do have a very active government. I think if, if the US government started introducing that, there would be some very dramatic pushback. Um, but I think that the private sector can be doing that as well uh, you know time has a, a a platform for children time for kids um a publication that a lot of this is is introducing them to journalism for the first time from a very young age you know we have kid reporters who report on issues that that children are interested in but also inter- introducing them to to major news stories and figuring out how to explain the capital rights to them in a way that's that's sort of objective and and i guess um trying to engage Kids at a young age in what what you know the benefits of of discovering more about um, about the world um, you know so I, yeah I think it, it's a hard thing to introduce it at a formal level but I think we can all be you know investing more in these kinds of programs.
0: Okay, sorry, I feel like we, we've slightly gone off track here, but I, I uh, we'll, we'll we'll get back to the meat of, of things. Um, and I really wanted to kind of talk a little bit more about about yeah where freedom of press is is actually um, declining at the moment. There are some good stories, and we we will kind of come reel back to that at the moment. But when we were chatting earlier, Rebecca in particular um, was citing some some examples where um, freedom of the press is is significantly declining. Um, and also some slightly worrying issues um, closer to home. Um, I know some the examples. I think we were talking about were um, India and uh, Poland and, and Belarus, but I, I think think there were others. Where, where are the, the biggest concerns for you? Where Where are you having to work hardest at the moment at um, Reporters Without Borders?
2: Well, the alarming truth is that actually press freedom is is declining everywhere. And so when you look at um, a measurement such as our World Press Freedom Index, that's not something that's immediately obvious when you, you glance and you can see where countries move each year. But what it doesn't show is actually the whole world is getting worse year by year. Ooh, so we can't well, not become good. complacent anywhere. Um, but we do, we do see regional indicators. Um, the Middle East has long been the, the, the region where press freedom is under uh, greatest attack. Europe has long been the region that uh, that has the strongest protections for press freedom. But of course, we're seeing um, a shifting uh, nature of threats. And that means that we can't consider that journalists are fully safe anywhere. So last year, we saw a situation, even despite the pandemic, despite the fact that fewer journalists were out in the field doing their jobs because much of the world was locked down uh, for a good part of the year. We still saw a situation of 50 journalists killed around the world in connection with their work. Um, But an alarming statistic within that is that every year this has steadily increased and and increased even more sharply last year. Fewer journalists are being killed in countries that we think of as being at war, countries that are in open conflict. And a greater number of journalists are being killed in countries that are meant to be at peace. So last year, 68% of journalists who were killed were in countries that weren't at war, countries at peace. Um, and of all of the journalists killed last year, as well, 84% were deliberately targeted. These are very often investigative journalists that are, uh, you know, working on risky topics such as corruption, uh, organized crime, exposing things that powerful interests want to keep hidden. Um, and so, when individuals are at risk in that way, these crimes against journalists don't know boundaries in that regard. And so all of our governments, even our most established democracies, have to be very aware of these threats and proactively act to protect press freedom.
1: And I think we have to be really careful about what's happened over this past year. You know, while governments around the world have been in crisis, um, the more authoritarian-leaning governments or the outright authoritarian governments have been putting in new limitations on press freedom, um, you know, out of public safety often, uh, or, or supposedly, um, or, or to, to sort of protect public order. Um, and I think, you know, there is a great risk that some of those changes will just be put into or will be made permanent afterwards. I mean, you spoke about India, for example, which is a great concern of, of ours at time um, you know, the world's biggest democracy as it, as it likes to style itself, but, you know, has been declining press freedoms there for, 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 for quite a long time. And I think, especially during this lockdown, um, the, the Hindu nationalist government led by, by Narendra Modi has been, you know, holding journalists to check for doing the work of holding the government to account, um, detaining them, often pursuing them through the courts as well, um. Uh, and charging them with with spreading discord, um, uh, and so the way in which the court system is being used to silence reporting, I think, it is is a great concern of ours there.
2: Absolutely. And, and something that we saw. So during the pandemic, during the height of the pandemic, especially at the beginning, we saw two trends really, which is one, there were a, there was a wave of new sorts of violations of press freedom directly connect, connected to the pandemic. So a targeting by governments of journalists who were trying to get out the truth about what they were seeing in their countries. This was perhaps most noticeable in China. Um and at Reporters Without Borders, we rang alarm bells. We we have stated that um, had free and independent reporting been allowed on the very early phases of the pandemic, possibly this could have been prevented from escalating into a global crisis. We won't ever know. We've just passed the one year anniversary where uh, seven courageous journalists uh, who were detained in China for reporting on the pandemic are still in jail. They've been in jail for a full year. Um, China's not the only country. We saw measures by others that wanted to suppress accurate reporting. Um, I'm thinking of Iran, where where the COVID uh, numbers were very high in the early days, and there was a very clear backlash against journalists who were reporting on that. Um, And we saw it in less extreme ways in many other countries. Um, but in addition to those specific sort of, um, actions in response to reporting on COVID, we then saw, um, states like India, as you've mentioned, Dan, we saw many others that took advantage of the world's attention being distracted to either implement new crackdowns or carry out, carry out ongoing crackdowns on press freedom and, Many of our governments uh, took even, you know, less notice than they they would have otherwise. We often argue that that not is not not enough is done on these issues, even in the best of times. But certainly, when every country is dealing uh, with pressing matters of public health, it's even harder to mobilize them into, you know, taking action against
0: the worst offenders in the world. I Me, mean, even as a as an ignorant bystander, uh, I was aware at the height of the pandemic that I was just simply not paying attention to other you know massive issues in the Middle East or even even Brexit you know it it actually kind of slipped off top of mind because it it did feel like the pandemic was everything um Rebecca I wonder if you could share a little bit more information about um kind of how uh you operate um what uh, you know, I know that 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 you kind of you you have your political spheres, but also supporting kind of journalists on the ground. So, um, you know, who you're working with and the funding, how how you are funded as an organisation.
2: Sure. Uh, so, Reporters Without Borders we're known internationally as Reporters Sans Frontières. So, if I say RSF, that's why um, we're headquartered in Paris, and we have 13 other country offices, including here in London uh, where I work. Um, And we have a network of correspondents in more than 130 countries around the world. Uh, So they are really our eyes and ears in many places, um, including some of the most at-risk places. Um, We work in a range of ways. We, In a way, we're a news service. Um, Our researchers are monitoring and putting out alerts on press freedom developments around the world. Um, We we engage in direct assistance, even very concrete things like we loan out uh, flak jackets and and helmets uh, to journalists going into conflict zones. For example, we we provide an insurance scheme for freelancers. Um, we help get journalists out of harm's way sometimes help uh support them um you know legally or to you know with asylum requests and safe places um we engage in advocacy as you've mentioned that's you know pressuring governments or international institutions uh to live up to their to their own uh you know, we're not, So it's not just a matter of words, but actions when, when we see um, in terms of enforcing our own national laws uh, that protect free expression and uh, ensuring implementation of international mechanisms that are supposed to protect press freedom. Um, and we do mobilization campaigns as well. We really try to engage the public, make sure the public's aware of these things and uh, spur people into action on some of our cases of concern and and that's that's primarily my function at RSF so um I work on the campaign side so um what's on my desk is always the sort of the hottest sort of top priority global campaigns at the moment that includes things like um, trying to help Maria Reza hold the line in the Philippines or seeking justice uh, for the assassination of Jamal Khashoggi in Saudi, well actually the Saudi columnist who was killed in in Turkey uh, or Daphne caruana Galizia who was killed in Malta. um, We're campaigning to establish a UN special representative on the safety of journalists Uh, We're campaigning for the release of Julian Assange. So many different types of cases kind of fall to our campaigning side. And in terms of funding, um, we are a nonprofit. uh, So we get funding from a range of sources, sometimes foundations or grants. Um, We are a membership organization internationally as well. So uh, members will make small regular donations that help keep us afloat. Uh, We have a beautiful photo book that is put out three times a year in France, um, Photos for Press Freedom. And it's a historical way that the French public support rsf that actually contributes significantly to our global budget but we're really grateful for all forms of support and uh to that end um we've been proud to be uh the world media groups named charity partner i think it's been four years running now um so we're grateful for the support that you've given us through the awards and um would be very happy to talk to any of your members about you know possible
0: further collaboration fantastic well i would like to add a little plug to that is is that we're our World Media Awards are open for entry at the moment and we would encourage anybody who's considering entering, um, they are free to enter, but we do um, encourage you to consider um, giving a donation to Reporters Without Borders and there's a very easy link and you just, just tap on it and and you can make a donation to them through, through that. Um, before we just finish off, the podcast I, i'd kind of like to to leave on a vaguely positive note um, despite the depressing statistics that we've we've been hearing about um, dan we were talking when we were doing the prep call for this um, you you were talking about the areas of improvement around the world where um, new media and outlets um, have helped to hold some governments to account um, can you uh, enlighten us a little bit more around that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Rebecca already alluded to this, um, but, uh, you know, the the ways in which the internet has allowed investigative reporting units to find new ways to tell stories and to also tell stories directly to people who are fed a diet of state media. I think, you know, Russia is a really good example of that. You know, Russia has, uh, I mean, uh, over a dozen investigative bodies, um, the Bell... Uh, uh, Bellingcat, iStories, you know, some of those, like Bellingcat, is is based outside of Russia. Um, I think it's actually run by a British journalist, but in in collaboration with Russian journalists quite often. Um, There's also publications like Novaya Gazeta, um, which carries on um, reporting from within Russia. But, the, the their use of the internet, often their journalism is in the form of YouTube videos. I mean, you see that most obviously with Alexei Navalny's um, FBK, his uh, anti-corruption foundation. It's more of an activist organization, but what they're doing is journalism. Um, they're doing investigative reports into uh, I mean, the, the, this report that just brought um, tens of thousands of Russians onto the streets to protest the Putin regime. Um, I don't think the Putin, Putin regime is going to fold overnight. Um, you know, the, 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 um, the Kremlin has a, a tight grip on that country and it's um, a huge, huge country, um, so it's hard to sort of um, to get a kind of unified um, course of action. But I think that, to me, shows that journalism can... Make a difference, even in the most tightly controlled areas, and I think that's got to be a reason for hope.
0: But even you know, Time Magazine is um, you know I'm I'm old enough to remember the days when when it purely existed as a magazine, and if you didn't have uh, a newsstand near you that happened to sell it, and let's face it, lots of parts of the eastern Europe would, it was extremely difficult to get hold of. Um, you, you know, you, you are, you, uh, by that I mean time, it is, you, your journalism is now going out through multiple different platforms um, to a, a presumably quite a different type of, of audience. Um, how, are you, how are you adapting the way you, you operate
1: uh, I mean yeah we, we clearly from for quite some time have realized that you know in today's world the need for a weekly news magazine where people get their information is is not really relevant anymore so we have to be much more about a sort of 24/ 7 operation um we, we increasingly don't see a difference between print and digital um, and we do a lot of of um, you know our, our franchises, that we've introduced, including um, the Time 100 talks, for example. Especially over the pandemic, we've been staging events where we actually talk to people face to face. And yeah, I think engaging with with younger audiences, especially in that way, who might not consider buying a, a, a print magazine. Um, I will say, a, you know, a large part mm-hmm. of what we do and have it's sort of relevant to, to this conversation is, is, you know, we have probably one of the more trusted and well-known brands. Out there, Um, and we have an ability to uh, to bring people onto our platform, if you like, and I think that's what we're increasingly trying to do—to to to give prominence to people like, um, I mean, the people that we made Person of the Year in in 2018, right? The Maria Ressa, Jamal Khashoggi, um, uh, the the Capital Newsroom, and the two Reuters journalists um, who were imprisoned in in Myanmar. Um, You know, I think we have we we recognise that we have an ability to bring people like that to greater prominence. um, And we're we're trying to do that as as best as we can on all of the platforms that we use.
2: And when journalists do that, it's hugely important to us. So I have to say those time, you know, person of the year covers that were all related to journalism really helped us from a campaigning perspective um, because it cut through in a mainstream way. Um, And I have to say, it can be very challenging to get journalists to cover stories about journalism. But when they do, it really it really makes everything that we do far more effective. And so uh, to leave on a more encouraging note, that's what I would say is we're very keen to uh, to explore these kinds of um, collaborations with with media organizations. Uh, We're very happy to to provide information and to help um, to any extent that we can um, to to get a bit more coverage of these stories, to show the human impact behind them, because this is not just figures. You know, we look at the situation, 400 journalists in jail around the world, but there's so many human stories within them and anything that that the media can do including your partners uh, to really shed light on that helps our press freedom work tremendously
0: well that's amazing i don't know and i will um convey that um after this to the to the other members of of the world media group um there is no quick and easy easy fix to this one but um we will continue to promote wherever we can so i'd really like to thank you both thank you dan and rebecca for joining us today and um let's carry on this conversation and make it uh hope to help to make it a safer place The World Media Group is an alliance of leading international media organizations that connects brands with highly engaged influential audiences in the context of trusted and renowned journalism. I'm delighted to have as members the Atlantic BBC News Global Bloomberg Media, Business Insider, The Economist, Forbes, Fortune, Financial Times, National Geographic, New York Times, Reuters, Time Magazine, The Wall Street Journal and The Washington Post. It is a great honor to work with all of them. Thank you.